Before we listen to today's scripture passage, um, and thank you, Donna, for stepping in. Ellie is sick, so thank you, Donna, for stepping in and, and acting as liturgist for us today. So let me set the scene for us. For some time now, the disciples have been following Jesus as he travels through Galilee, and it has been an incredible journey. Not only have they heard him teach with great authority, but they have witnessed amazing miracles. A leper cleansed, a blind man given sight, thousands fed with a few loaves and fishes, a child raised from the dead. One day Jesus asked them a question. Who do people say that I am? The disciples are quick to respond. They've heard all the rumors. Some say you are a prophet, they tell him. Others say that you are Elijah or John the Baptist come back from the dead. Then Jesus stops and turns and looks at them. But who do you say that I am? For a moment, there is dead silence. And then Peter speaks up. You, you are the Messiah. Jesus responds by commanding them not to share this thought with anyone. But then he says something that none of them expect. Let's listen. Then he began to teach them that the Son, of Man, <clears throat> the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan! For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now that the disciples understand that Jesus is the Messiah, he begins to unpack exactly what that means, and it is not at all what they expect. Can you imagine, imagine the shock that the disciples must have felt when Jesus told them that he would experience suffering and rejection and death. He was the one for whom they had been waiting the Savior who would free their people from Roman domination and restore the kingdom of Israel. They had seen him do impossible things, things that only God could do. Surely he is destined for greatness and glory, not suffering and death. That he would even suggest such a thing is unthinkable. As usual, Peter is the first to react takes Jesus by the arm and 
leads him a little ways away from the others. And then he says, Jesus, just stop it with all this talk about suffering and death. You're just upsetting people. Nothing is like this is going to happen to you. You're the man, the Messiah, remember? Now, you might expect Jesus to say, Oh, thanks, Peter. I needed that. But instead, knowing that the other disciples have overheard Peter, Jesus looks at all of them and then just rips into Peter. Get behind me, Satan. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Oh, it's quite a dressing down. And with good reason, for Peter's words offer Jesus an out. And they are as great a temptation to Jesus as anything that Satan presented to him in the wilderness. I can't help but think that Jesus was talking to himself as much as he was to his disciples. He was the Messiah, the Son of God, to be sure, but he was also human, and we humans don't like to think about suffering, do we? We don't want to deal with pain or death. That's why we work so hard to negate grief when we encounter it. We say to a grieving widow, I know it hurts now, but you'll feel better in time. We tell a toddler who has skinned her knees, dry your tears now, you're okay. We say to young people who have seen their classmates gunned down, you're too young to understand, just go back to school and let the adults handle it. No, we don't like to think about suffering and death. Besides, we know the end of the story. We know that the words that Peter apparently failed to hear, and after three days rise again, are true. And it's easy to feel a little smug when Jesus puts Peter in his place. Which is why Jesus' next words come as a huge reality check, not just for Peter and his fellow disciples, but also for us. If any want to be my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Oh, my. What are we to do with that? Is Jesus telling us that we need to suffer? Is he counseling us to put ourselves down, to let others walk all over us? Is he encouraging us to get into trouble, to court death? No. I don't think so. When Jesus tells us to deny ourselves, he is not saying that we should see ourselves as worth as worthless. He is not telling us to negate who we are. On the contrary, he just came as one of us to show us how much we are loved by God. William Carter writes, listen, Mark tells us how Jesus came to give worth and value, not to take it away. So what is Jesus saying? To put it bluntly, I think he is reminding us that we are not the center of the universe and that following him means resisting the temptation to put our needs and wants, our safety and privilege above everything and everyone else, including and especially above God. Jan Richardson puts it this way, following Jesus and denying ourselves doesn't mean giving up our humanness. 
Rather, it means learning to see what it is within our humanity that hinders us from God and letting that go. It means not clinging to our human desires at the expense of seeking to know God's desires for our human lives. Likewise, when Jesus tells us to take up the cross, he is not telling us deliberately to put ourselves in a position where we will get beaten up or killed. As Caroline Lewis points out, while the cross is a symbol of suffering and death, it also represents God's commitment to humankind, God's choice to be in relationship with us. To take up one's cross is to make that same commitment, to dare to be in relationship with God and with each other, to dare to love even when that love hurts. Janet Hunt tells of the Ash Wednesday when she was asked to come to the hospital and to impose ashes on the forehead of a young mother about to give birth. The mother's explanation was just that it was Ash Wednesday and she wanted to start things out right for this baby. And Janet willingly did that. She writes, it is such times that remind us that we are called to something else than just being for ourselves alone. It is several days later now, and uh, this much I know for sure. That young mother and dad have already begun to learn what it is to die for the sake of another as they love that little girl they have by now brought home. We parents all know what it is to give up things for our children. She goes on. For this I do believe. The dying Christ, the dying Christ calls us, the dying that Jesus calls us to can be made of big actions and small ones too. For many of us, this dying may be experienced much more in the mundane day-to-day as we heed that call and choose to be and do for others. As much as anything else, it may be in the listening rather than speaking first. It may be in the meal prepared and shared. It may be in the snow shoveled for a neighbor, the lawn raked for a friend, the cookies baked and delivered to someone whose day it will brighten. It may be in the hospital call made, the funeral visitation line endured, or the repetitive conversation shared with suffering some, someone suffering from dementia when you can think of a thousand seemingly more rewarding other obligations calling your name. For some of us, some of the time, picking up the cross Jesus calls us to now will be huge. It may come once in a memorable and permanent way. And for many of us, much of the time, those crosses which we pick up for the sake of others won't seem so big although even those may well be meaningful, more meaningful, more significant than we first believe. The shooting at Marjorie Douglas, Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, has been much on my mind and heart this week. For some time now, I have been appalled by legislators who offer their thoughts and prayers, but who are unwilling to make changes in the law, changes that might have saved the life of 17 people on that day. But the courage 
and the determinations of the students who have refused to simply mourn their friends and then move on with their lives gives me hope that things can and will change. And here's the thing. No one made those, these students do this, and I am sure that they didn't expect the pushback that they are getting. Talk about a reality check. But they are willing to go through this in order to bring good out of this horrifying event that costs the lives of far too many. In their own way, they have chosen to deny themselves and to take up a cross. Their example both shames and inspires me, and I continue to wrestle with my own response to this tragedy, and maybe you do too. Jesus does not make us follow him. It's our choice, a choice that may well bring us into conflict with others and put us in situations that we would rather avoid. As William Carter writes, if we do God's work in the world just like Jesus, then we have every reason to expect that what happened to him might happen to us. But oh, my friends... Following Jesus also gives the opportunity, us the opportunity to participate in his life-giving work. For when we put aside our needs to help others, when we reach out to touch the untouchable, when we refuse to allow others to be exploited or hurt, when we decide to give away our love, hope blossoms. New possibilities open up. Life is renewed. And in those difficult, trying, faith-testing situations, we will discover that God is present. Not perhaps the God we want or expect, but the God who, in the words of Phyllis Kirsten, has set God's heart and mind on us. Most of the time, following the way of Christ does not call for great suffering on our part. What we are more likely to face as we go about our daily lives is the temptation to play it safe and maintain the status quo, to stay out of trouble and to stay in the good graces of others, to take care of ourselves and let others do the same. But maybe that is when we most need to heed Christ's words. Maybe that is when we most need to deny deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him, to let go of our desire to be liked and loved and our need to be successful and to put Jesus' priorities and purposes and path ahead of our own. Maybe that is when we most need to put our trust in the one whose weakness is greater than our power. And to remember that, as William Carter reminds us, if a cross is given to us, we will not carry it alone. For Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Amen.